we've been, the last couple weeks in the helper, here's what we've learned. We've learned who the helper is. Uh, we've learned what the helper does. And so today, we're going to start kind of shifting a little bit towards what the helper wants us to do. We're going to take this week and next week are kind of like part one, part two. So today's part one of what he wants us to do. Um, it, and really, he wants to get you out of the way. So look at the person next to you. Go ahead, check them out. They get in the way a lot. And what the helper wants to do is he wants to get them out of the way, which is weird, right? Because we're talking about what he wants us to do. And what he wants us to do is get out of the way. He wants to make sure that we are not in his way. Um, today's going to be a little bit painful, uh, possibly. Uh, please don't throw sharp things at me. If you want to, um, just kind of keep them for later. Uh, I, I think it'll become more obvious as we go along what I mean by getting us out of the way. But I know that one thing that's going to happen is we're going to get a little bit stretched. Um, it, how many of you work out? It's like when you're, you know, I can't raise my, I can't raise my hand. Like, nah, you don't work out. When you work out, like you have to tear down the muscle to get stronger, right? And it hurts. Like uh, if you haven't worked out in a long time and then you start doing like barbell curls, and then the next day, you can't even stretch your arms down all the way because it hurts so bad right there. It's the most painful place in the whole in part of your body to hurt. But if you want to get stronger, you got to tear that muscle down. Um, if you want to get smarter, what do you have to do? You have to, like, put the book under the pillow, right, and lay your head. No, you have to study. You have to, like, hit the books. If you want to be more faithful, I don't know if you ever prayed that or not, God, make me more I want to be a faithful servant. If you want to be more faithful, then you have to be put in situations that require you to have faith. It's like asking God to make you more patient, right? It means you're going to get behind every slow driver in the city. It's just the way it works. Stretching is a good word for us to remember today. Um, athletes, if you don't stretch, what do you tear? Muscles, right? You tear what? Hamstrings, yeah. So it, it, here's Christians. If we don't stretch, we get rigid. Do you know people like that? Do you know Christians who have sat in the same pew, the same 11 o'clock service, in the same church, and they're just rigid? Like, they're not doing really anything. They're just sitting there. They're not ever stretched. They just kind of, it's the holy hour with God, and then go do whatever you want. We've got to be stretched. Um, I was looking last night at um, pictures of stretchy pants. I think stretchy pants are fun. And I was reminded of Joey on Friends. Do you remember Joey? Did you watch Friends? And he came out to eat the turkey. He's got his turkey pants on because they're stretchy and he can get a lot more turkey in there. That's kind of what stretchy, that's, we stretch so that we can fit more in. That's what God's doing right now. That's what he wants to do. Um, Jesus got that. I don't know if, I'm in Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus is talking. A man came up and said this, basically, look, how come we our disciples fast, and how come the Pharisees fast? How come all these religious people fast, but your disciples are not fasting? They're trying to wrap their brain around the method and what they're doing. And here's what Jesus said. He said, no one, in Matthew 9, 16, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment unless they're a man. No, that's not what it says. There's nothing there, sorry. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do... The skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Um, two things about wine. One, I don't like it. 
I mean, I just don't. I've tried. Um, I, w- I want to like wine because it seems so cool, doesn't it? Like when people are drinking, they just look cool. I want to like wine. I just can't. Um, Wendy's tried to get me even like just, this is bad. I, I'm going to lose my man card by saying this, but like she's just like, Paul, just, just try a wine cooler. I don't even like wine coolers. I mean, I just, I just don't like them at all. They're just, ugh, I don't like them. But if I did like wine, right, if I did, the last thing I would want to do is watch something bust and have it go all over the floor because it's gone. And so Jesus is saying, look, it's good to have new wine. And in the Bible, wine is a symbol of the Spirit. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the helper. It's good to have wine. He says that's a good thing. But it's bad to take new wine, pour it into old, brittle unflexible wineskins because if we do that it's going to bust and you're going to lose it all and so what jesus is saying here is man if you want new wine you got to have some new wineskins and so here's what we're going to do this morning i know you don't have note sheets i'm sorry but um the, the outline's online and you can get it later i want to show you this i want to show you two new wines and two old wineskins does that make sense so far so two things that the holy spirit wants us to do these are the new wine and then two things that the holy spirit absolutely does not want us to do and that's the old wineskins and then at the end i'll try to tie it all together put a bow on top and and then send you out hopefully hopefully you'll come back next week for part two so here we go here's the two things that the holy spirit wants us to do number one he wants us to do great works um i tell you to look at people next to you all the time go ahead and look at them are they the kind of person that can do great works? Don't answer that out loud, okay? I think so. That's why I'm going to marry him. So if you're dating them, you're like, yes. And then like 10 years into marriage, uh, iffy, right? So here's what Jesus says. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 12. He's in the middle of, he started this whole like, John 14, 15, 16, the last things that Jesus says to his disciples before he's out of here. This is the... Hey, kids, here's how to call 911 before we go on a date, right? You're going to leave your kids alone. You're making sure they got the instructions. He's making sure they've got the instructions. So what he says in these three chapters, extremely important. And here's what Jesus says, Matthew 14, verse 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone, is that you? Anyone? Are you an anyone? Yes. Okay. Anyone who has faith, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. Now, let's just take a quick test. Raise your hand if you've raised somebody from the dead. Okay, let's just let's, let's water it down a little bit. Raise your hand if you've prayed for somebody who's blind and they could see. Okay. Raise your hand if you met somebody with leprosy and prayed for them, and then they were clean. Okay. See, what is Jesus talking about? How are we going to do greater than that? Because that's what Jesus did. That and many, many more. Now, I was going to ask if anybody here has ever taken a little bit of food and fed a lot of people, but there's women here. So we know that's, that's possible, right? Maybe not like, I mean, there's something about like, you know, like, People that can just like take a little bit. I mean, Wendy's amazing. Like we'll be sitting there at the house and she's like, the kids are like, mom, what's for supper? And I'm kind of sitting there thinking, I've looked in the fridge. I've looked in the pantry. There ain't nothing there. And then it's like just poof, she comes out with this amazing meal. Like, How did you do that? She's not feeding 5,000, right? So Jesus does these things that are amazing. And then he, he says, but I, you're going to do even greater than that because I'm going to the Father. And the reason we're going to do greater than that is because the helper comes and he begins to use us to go out and do 
greater than Jesus. And we're talking about one-upping Jesus, right? Do you know one-uppers? Do you know people that, like, you say to them, man, I've had a bad day. And they're like, did you think you've had a bad day? Let me tell you about my day because it started off when I died. And I got raised up. And I walked into the street and got hit by a car. And it's just like, oh, just shut up, right? We're not trying to one-up Jesus. Like, well, Jesus did amazing miracles. Oh, you think you did miracles? Let me tell you what I did. That's not what this is about at all. We're not one-upping Jesus at all. This is, and I love this as a pastor, this is proof positive that God is not committed to the rock star ministry approach. He's not committed to raising up rock stars to stand on a platform and preach to the minions about how they should live. Because if he was into that, he would have just left Jesus on the planet, right? Because Jesus was, don't take this the wrong way, the greatest rock star that ever lived. I mean, Jesus would walk up to people and say, be healed, and they're healed. He could do everything. And God took a man, God, who could do everything, and he took him out of the world and told us to go do even greater than he did. Because God's plan has always been this, that there would not be a rock star that gets rich off of a bunch of people, but that there would be a bunch of people who would make the world rich because of the Spirit in them. That's his been, that's been his plan from the beginning and disproves it. So he, Jesus leaves and says, look, I'm going to send the helper. He's going to be in you, and you're going to do greater things than me. And here's why. Because Jesus, as great as he was, was limited to a place and a time. But we're not. The church for 2,000 years has not been limited by a place or time. Churches worldwide, all over the place. The Holy Spirit's in all kinds of people at all kinds of times, healing all kinds of diseases, doing all kinds of great works. And so the number of works that we do are greater than the number of works that Jesus did. Statement makes it clear that God also did not send the helper so that we could live safe lives. Isn't that great? hey, God, listen, I just I want to get saved, and I want you to send me the Spirit so that I can fulfill your plan by planting my butt in a chair and just sitting there. Now, that sounds tempting if you've been working in the yard, working a job. I mean, there's times we like to sit and just chill, but God is clear here. He did not call us to sit down and celebrate past works. He called us to do greater works going forward. And he's not about the status quo. Um, the songs that we're playing before church, these are off the new Bethel CD. Um, and, and one of the songs has a lyric that says this, I'm full, but I'm not satisfied. I love that line. That's kind of what this says. He wants us to do great works. He wants us to be full, but not satisfied. A holy discontent about where we are. There's always something greater that we can be doing. This is the new wine that God's pouring into our church. I'm pumped about it. Here's the second one. He wants us to do great works, and he wants us to speak God's words. He wants to say God's words everywhere to everyone. Uh, just a couple verses. We'll throw them up on the screen. Acts 1.8, um, we've read this a number of times. It talks about, like, if, you know, when we receive the Holy Spirit, then we'll be his witnesses, right? In, Judea, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, into the earth. We are witnesses with our words, right? I mean, I love the whole lifestyle evangelism thing. That's so cute. I'm just going to live it, and they're going to notice something, and then maybe some, through osmosis they'll receive Christ. It's good to live it, but sometimes you have to, like, open your mouth and speak. 
And here's a couple verses just to show you how that worked in the early church. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says this, after they had prayed, they are the believers, after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, which in and of itself would be a pretty cool experience. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to swing from chandeliers left and right. Is that what it says? No. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Spoke the word of God boldly. Um, 2 Peter 1.21 Talking about how the word of God was written says this, that men were moved by God and then spoke his words. Moved and then spoke his words. That's what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. When you receive the helper, you're moved by God to speak God's words. What does it look like when we speak God's words? Here's a couple things. Proverbs 15, 23. When we're speaking God's words, they're right on time. Have you ever said the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time? When I was in when I had graduated from college, I had a friend who was giving her senior recital, and so she asked me to come back. So I'm sitting at Wingate University. I'm in the auditorium, and I'm watching my friend up there playing the piano, singing the whole deal. It was fantastic. It was beautiful. And when it was over, I noticed that in front of me, like you can tell who's with who, right? Like you know, this family, like they're all smiling while she's playing, and they're all into it. So I knew this is her family. And so when we got done, we stood up. And they turned around, and I said, oh, I said, she did so well. You must be so proud of your granddaughter. And then she said, well, we're proud of our daughter. Oh, my bad. That's what I meant to say. Your daughter, of course, right. Like, you're just reaching for the word. You can't quite get them back. Man, listen, here's the thing. When you're speaking God's word the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to have that problem because you're speaking the right word at the right time. That's what Proverbs 15, 23 promises. Isaiah 54, he says that when he was full of the Spirit, he spoke disciplined words. It's not just shooting from the hip, right? Like there's actual, this is why we read the Word of God. This is why we have quiet times. This is why we have reading plans. This is why on January the 1st, you told God my resolution was to read the Bible and you got as far as Genesis 5, and maybe he didn't finish, but that's why we do it. Because we've got to have stuff in us. We have to instruct our tongues, learn this so that we can speak it. Isaiah 61, I love Isaiah 61. This is what happens when we're full of the Spirit. It says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That's what it sounds like when you speak God's words. Like you, we walk into places. We, the kids did that a skit a couple weeks ago. When he, when he walks into the room, everything changes. When you're speaking the words of God because you're full of the Spirit of God, you walk in places, and when you open your mouth, people are like, there's freedom. I can be free. We proclaim that. That's what he says. That's what it looks like to speak God's word. That, that's the new wine. He wants us to do great works. He wants us to speak God's words. Those are the new wine that he has for us. And here's the two wineskins that will totally ruin all that if we don't get rid of them. Here's number one. First thing that the helper does not want us to do, he does not want us to convict the world. We're going to have to unpack this one um, because I think we've been taught 
incorrectly through the years. Um, how many of you were around when the church, um, to borrow a phrase from our president, got on its high horse and boycotted Disney? Who remembers that? Church boycotting Disney. So basically what happened was a bunch of churches got together, pastors got together, and they're like, you know what? We're just sick of Disney. Like they just, they're, act, they're running that business like they're not even a Christian business, like they're, they're sinners. And so we're going to boycott them just to prove to them that they're sinners. I think they already know, right? I think, I think we've misplaced what our role is. And our role is not to convict the world of sin. John chapter 16, Jesus is talking again to his disciples. And he says this starting in verse 5. He says, now I'm, I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me where are you going. Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. Because obviously they don't want him to leave. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, that's the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, verse 8, John 16, 8, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And it's, it's, it's the helper's job to convict the world of sin. It's not mine. We like to believe that we're all about the truth more times than not. The church is about telling sinners the truth. Verse 13 in that same passage, Jesus said this, But when he, the spirit of truth, the helper comes, he will guide you into all truth. Who's he going to guide into truth? The church. Like He's talking to his disciples. We like to take the truth and bash the world with it, but he says, look, the, the spirit's going to lead you into truth. He's going to deal with your stuff. And while he's dealing with your stuff and leading you to the truth and you're repenting of that, here's what we'll do. I'll be out also convicting the world of sin. There's only one reason why the church likes to tell the world the truth about it, and it's pride. And that's the first old wineskin. And, and I know like, immediately we're like, I don't even like you anymore. I know because you've got pride. I don't like me either. I've got pride. Nobody likes to hear this stuff. But pride is an old wineskin. And if we don't get rid of the old wineskin of pride, then we're going to be doing great works for God like this. I knew I could do it. Stick our chest out, even when you don't have a chest. Check it out. Nobody can preach like me. Nobody sings like I do. Nobody can bring the house down like me. Nobody's a better Christian than I am. Man, that's, that's what we become if we don't kill this old wineskin of pride. The helper cannot send prideful people to do great works for God. It's an old wineskin. It cannot sustain the great works that the helper wants us to do. It's something that has to be killed, repented of. Here's the second thing that the Holy Spirit does not want us to do. He doesn't want us to confuse the world. Um... Let me see if I can explain this without confusing you, all right? We're going to start moving in this series in the next few weeks into the gifts of the Spirit, right? And so what does that mean, the gifts of the Spirit? Is it Christmas again? <laughs> it means that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church to help us accomplish what He wants us to do. We talked last week about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he's, He gets us in these fiery places, and He prepares us to send us out. S-E-N-D, He sends us out. 
We're learning today the things that he wants us to do when we go out, the things that he doesn't want us to do when we go out. But what we'll learn in the weeks to come is that there are gifts he gives the church simply to empower us to do what he wants us to do. What happens is we read like, like the most confused gift of all the gifts is tongues. And so when you read 1 Corinthians, you'll read things like Paul. And I love this because Paul is very clear. God doesn't want to confuse anybody with tongues. Paul will say things like this. You'll see it next week and in the weeks after. I'd rather you say five words I can understand than a million words that nobody can. It's like, don't speak in tongues if somebody can't interpret it. He's so careful about making sure that God's message is clearly spoken. He does not want the world to be confused. But what I've got to get you to understand is this. Forget about tongues for just a second. Because tongues gets a really bad rap. Because tongues comes in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. But way before you get to that, we find out early in that letter in the Corinthian church what was really confusing unbelievers in that city. And here's what it was. In chapter 3, in that letter, you find Paul dealing with division in the church. In chapter 6... Paul writes this, you're suing one another. There are, he says, there, there are actually lawsuits in the church against one another. And then the worst of all is in chapter 5, when Paul says this, I've heard that there's actually a man in your church who's sleeping with his stepmother. And that you tolerate this even when the pagan world will not. And so what confuses the world is not tongues or gifts of the Spirit, what confuses the world is when the church uses the gifts of the Spirit while they tolerate sin. That's what confuses the world. And he didn't call us to do that. That's why Paul's like, shut up. If you can't live what you're saying, shut up. Don't confuse the world. What confuses the world is... um. When we say one thing and we say something different, depending on where we are, just while I'm talking, turn to James chapter 3. It's a fantastically encouraging chapter in the book, of the, in the Bible, that basically says that the tongue you have in your mouth came from hell. That's always encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> like, gee, thanks. Thanks for writing that, James. It's just so critical that we get this. Um, and let me tell you why I'm going to use a name that some of you may know and some of you may not. Um, I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm just trying to make the point. The reason why I know for a fact that what confuses the world is when a life doesn't match what the words are being said. doesn't match. Tongues doesn't confuse the world. And here's how I know. There's a man in our county. His name is Nathan Fox. Um, if, you, if you know him, then you're like, yeah, yeah, I know Nathan Fox. And if you don't, you're like, I don't know who you're talking about. Let me describe him. Jesus. Like if you could just picture Jesus with gray hair about this tall and a mustache, that's Nathan Fox. Nathan Fox has been a pastor in this area for like, I don't know, a couple centuries. I mean, he's like, for as long as I know, I've known him. He's just been the same consistent, solid Baptist preacher. But if you walk up to Nathan Fox and you've never met him, here's the conversation because he's done this to me. Hi, I'm Nathan Fox. Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Have you received the gift of speaking in tongues? And the first time that he did that to me, I was like, hi, I'm Paul, and I'm a little freaked out right now. (laughs) You know, what is that about? But Nathan Foss could walk in this room, 
And he could stand next to me and we could pray and he could start praying in tongues. And it wouldn't freak me out at all. It wouldn't confuse me at all. And do you know why? Because the man lives it. Like, do you know people that do things that you don't understand, but you're still all in on it because they're so doggone consistent with Jesus? It's like, I don't know if I understand that, but I, I want to hang out with you more and just kind of see what that's about. This is, the, this is like when I had a pastor that sat in my car and said, you're the only pastor that I know that makes me think that maybe this stuff is real because I've watched you live it. There's something about a life lived well that helps people deal with stuff they don't understand. What I'm saying to you is this. What confuses people is when we use the gifts but don't look like the giver. And as we go beyond this point and the next week and the weeks after that, you've got to remember that. We've got to remember that. This is not about playing with power tools. This is not about acting a certain way and being all Pentecostal. This is about are we going to match with our lives what our mouths are saying. James chapter 3. Let's just read some of these really, really encouraging words. Right now, the room is divided into a couple, couple people, a couple groups of people. One, you've got people that are like, he's just all over people that speak in tongues for not living it, and I don't speak in tongues, so I'm good. And then we've got people that are going, I can't stop. He said tongues. I don't know no, do that, right? And then we have all the rest of you. But James chapter 3 speaks to all of us because it's not about the spiritual gift of tongues. Listen to how God describes through James that little moist thing in your mouth right now. Here we go, James chapter 3, verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Now, I know not many of you have been on big ships, but you ever been river rafting? Yeah, have I, have I lost you? You've been river rafting? Like I remember going on a, a Koei, and we got in the raft, and we had to have a guide, and we're going to like this huge rapid. And he's just like, I got it. And he sticks this little bitty plastic paddle, right? And you're like, we're all going to die. And he just does that, and the whole raft goes where he wants it to go. That's what he's talking about. Very small rudder can control the whole ship. Verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Verse 6, the most encouraging verse in the entire Bible, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. If you've ever been chewed out by your boss, you understand that verse, right? With the tongue, we praise our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who, is made, who have been made in God's likeness. Verse 10 is the one I really want you to get a hold of today. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, James says, this should not be. That is what confuses the world. Do you see that? When they say, wait, I, I saw you at church do this, but then I saw you later at Dollar General do that. I heard you praising God, and then I heard you cursing people out. I, I saw you speaking 
speaking in tongues and stuff. And I was kind of give you like the benefit of the doubt. But then I saw you like flipping people off while you drove. And James says, this can't be. And Paul says, man, I'd rather you just shut up and just speak a message that can be understood. And, and here's the deal. Pride is one old wineskin, but this Jekyll and Hyde tongue, that's the other one. The Jekyll and Hyde tongue that James talks about, that you and I have. Is that, can we just say that? I mean, already you're thinking about, all, oh God, how did he know I did that, right? Well, I know you did it because I'm human as well. Like sometimes, is it, isn't it a win just to think the bad words? Isn't that a win, right? Well, I didn't say it. Man, this is something that God has got to get a hold of in our lives. I can't, more people have missed Jesus because of the tongues of Christians than any other reason. Ask anybody that you've been trying to invite to church, why won't you come to church with me? And they will say, because it's full of hypocrites. Because they hear us say things that don't match what we say in church. It's Wendy's coworkers saying, why would I want to give God 10%? I mean, at least if I don't serve Jesus, I can keep my money. Christians aren't any different than I am. That's what he's talking about. And do you see how that, if we pour new wine, God, what does God want you to do? He wants you to speak God's words, right? He's sending you out. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of God is on me, and I'm going to proclaim freedom. I'm going to say all these things. And if we say all those things, but it's in an old wineskin of Jekyll and Hyde tongues and speech, it just bursts. It's lost. Like, we might as well just fold it up and go home, right? What's the point of even going any further in the study if we can't allow God to bridled this thing in our mouths. In Isaiah chapter 6, you, you just you jot there, you turn there if you want to. Here's what happens. Both of these things get addressed in Isaiah 6, and we're going to wrap it up with this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So you, you kind of see the picture, right? This is like an incredible concert, light show. You got the fog and the smoke and all this. And Isaiah goes, Holy crow, I just saw God. Like in all of His holiness and all of His splendor. And and how did he respond? He responded with, verse 5, Woe to me, I'm ruined. He responded with repentance. Not with pride, right? You see how that drove pride out. And then he said this, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My speech is not clean. God, help me. Because, like, I see you, I see you, and I'm not clean, I'm not worthy, I'm not, my lips, I don't say the right stuff. And so God's answer to that was in verse 6, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. What I want you to get out of this passage before we close this thing, whole thing up is this. 
it wasn't until that happened that God started looking for a volunteer. And we volunteer so quickly, don't we? Send me, God. Send me, God. And then we just like blow it because the old wineskins are there. He didn't ask for a volunteer until the pride and the tongue had been dealt with. And then he was like, who can I send? And I'm praying. I'm praying, man, at the end of this series that God, if he looks at the gathering and says, who can I send? He just sees a bunch of people doing this. Oh, me, me, me. Send me. Oh, come on. Send me, God. Send me. Here I am. Here I am. I want that so bad. But before we get there, we've got to deal with pride in the tongue, pride in the tongue, pride in the tongue. Somehow in a way that only God can do it, he removes us from the glory but still uses us in the story. And here's your big idea today. And then Cole's going to come. Cole's going to come just kind of play a little bit. I'm going to give you the chance to reflect with God about what we've talked about. Here's your big idea. God's math includes us in the equation but removes us from the answer. Everybody say, huh? Because there's no way that made any sense. You're like, how's that fit at all? Here's how it fits, okay? Just watch. Watch me. You're going to be amazed. There's two things that the helper wants us to do. We do those two things minus the two things that we shouldn't do. Two minus two equals zero opportunities for us to take any credit for anything that gets done. Let me say that again. The two things that we're supposed to do. Minus the two things that we're not supposed to do equals zero opportunity for us to take credit for anything that God does. And that's what he's about. He's about using the helper to put us in the equation. We are supposed to do things and not do things, but he does it in such a way that he removes us from the answer because the answer is Jesus. The answer is not me. It's not you. It's not the gathering. It's not any other name of any other church in this area you want to throw in there. The answer is Jesus, and he wants to get us away from that. He wants him to be the answer alone. And so he says, I want to give you new wine, but I want to put it into new wineskins. And the only way that he can do that is when we repent. So how? How does God remove pride and how does God purify the tongue? That's the big question, isn't it? And I'll answer it next week. I'll answer next week. I'll show you in Scripture how God, in all of His brilliance, you ever heard of like, what, kill two birds with one stone? How God kills pride and purifies the tongue all in one amazing way next week. But for today, for today, I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your head. And I want to give you the opportunity, just as cold plays, just to repent. Just to repent and say to God, Forgive me of my pride. Purify my tongue. 